We've been in a series called Essentials, and the, the essentials are really what we see as being what's the irreducible minimum of what it looks like to be a believer. There's more to this than what we've made it out to be, but I just want to say that I think we've, got, we've come pretty close uh, to what that looks like, especially what we as a church need in this time, in this day and age. And so here at Outward Church, we say we want to make disciples that love Jesus and live outward. And we have that on the wall here now. And the reason why we say this is because we want to help us understand what our internal life needs to look like. And that's what it looks like to love Jesus. We, we love his story. We love his people. We love his rule. We love to be obedient to him in our lives. But then we also want to live outward. And living outward looks like uh, giving of ourselves, our generosity. It looks like serving others, and it looks like speaking the gospel to others. And today we're talking about serving. You'll notice that when we talk about what it looks like to live outward, is that it doesn't begin with speaking. It begins uh, with giving. It begins with our generosity. It begins with a heart that's been changed uh, by the power of the Spirit of God to change us to be people who actually want to give of ourselves, to give of our finances, to give of our stuff, to, to whatever it is, to live generously. Like this is a mark of what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not just tithing. What it is, it's a life that is generous towards others. We covered that two weeks ago. Uh, this week, we're talking about what does it look like uh, to serve? What does it look like uh, to serve others? And what does that mean? And how can we do that with this um, great motivation? Now, over these last uh, two weeks that I've been uh, teaching on what it looks like to live outward, uh, what I need to say to you is this, is that it is so easy to feel shamed into being more generous, to feel shamed into saying, you know, I'm not serving enough. Uh, it's very easy to feel shamed into saying, you know, I, I really need to talk about the gospel. But I need to tell you this, and that is that real generosity, real service to others and to the church and in your city and in your home, and real, uh, real speaking of the gospel does not come out of a heart that is being shamed. And so today... What I want to tell you right now is this, is that the gospel covers everything. The good news of Jesus Christ is this, and that is that Jesus has wiped out all of your uh, sin and all of your shame, and that he is not here demanding your obedience in such a way that says, you're going to be shamed if you don't do this. That's not what this is about. What I want you to sense today is the love of God for you and his passion for you so much that you, that you desire to give of yourself in some respect. And so that's what we're working towards uh, today. I want to tell you this, though, before we get going, and that is that we have some amazing volunteers and people that serve here. When we talk about living outward, we want to say we want to give, we want to serve, we want to speak in the home, in the church, and in the city. So there's three places that we want to do that. Right now, I want to talk about uh, what it has looked like in the church to serve. So let me just give you a couple of quick stats so that we can all like breathe a sigh of relief because I think we're getting this, guys. Like, this is going really well. So let me, let me tell you a couple things here. In the third quarter of this year, so July through September, we averaged 237 adults on Sunday. So that's 
uh, <clears throat> that's, you know, towards the, the middle uh, of the summer and so forth, and then into September. Uh, that many adults plus 18 adults average in outward kids. So that's basically a total of 255 adults that are present here on average on uh, any given Sunday in the third quarter. So also in the third quarter, we had 180 total volunteers scheduled in planning centers. So that means that uh, in that third quarter, there was 180 people who were scheduled and served during that time period. What that means is this, is that we had 71% of our adults that attend regularly were serving. Now let me just tell you, that is something to be celebrated because of this. Yeah, we can clap for that. Do the slow, awkward clap. Let's, go, let's just start calling it the outward clap. Like somebody just, are we doing this? Are we doing this? Uh, yeah, I think we are. Okay. <laughs> the reason why that's incredible is this. You know the 80-20 rule? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. There's 71% of, of people at our church that are serving. So outward church, way to go. That's amazing. Now we can clap. I was holding off on the clap. That's amazing. We have a ton of people in our church that are getting it. And so I feel like as I bring this sermon to you this morning, that I'm not here saying, uh, hey guys, get with the program and learn how to serve in the church. What I'm coming to you and saying is that like way to go. Many of us have gotten this. And so what we get to do is we get to revel in what Jesus has done for us, we get to revel in the reality that people are getting this value. Now, when we started the church, one of the things that really stuck out to me was from Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 4. In fact, I'm, this isn't my passage for today, but I wanted to just say this briefly as I'm getting started here. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 8 through 10, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have been saved, not because of the work that we've done, but because of Jesus' work on the cross. Like, that's amazing stuff there. We can't work our way into salvation. Like, if you come in today and you're saying, I don't feel like a very good Christian. I should, start, I should start serving. No, you need to experience the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And then be motivated in and through that to say, yes, I want to live under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ in my life and obey for, what's it say? We are his workmanship. We are God's work. He's working in us. And we've been created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, when I first came to a realization of that passage, I had really focused on verses 2, 8 through 9. It's not a result of works. You cannot work enough. But then when I read the next verse, verse 10, I all of a sudden realized something. And that is that God has given something for you and I to do. And so what I did is when I uh, decided to plant a church along with many other people, I emphasized work so much, almost and probably too much, uh, to a fault, 
And so what we, what we drove and what we drove is what, and what we drove was this, was this idea of serve, 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 serve our, our community. We almost became way too social justice heavy and not heavy enough on the gospel of Jesus Christ that motivates our social justice, that motivates our service. So that's, that's where we've gone wrong in the past. And each and every one of us has the possibility of going wrong in this. I wanted to say that at the top, to say this. It's very easy to get off. It's very easy to get off track. There are ditches on either side of this road, and you can go one side and be way too much on this side and not really understanding that God has given me something to do, and then we can be way heavy on I'm doing and I'm doing and I'm doing and God's not doing and God's not doing and, and whatnot, and so we can get off track very easily. It's very difficult to stay on track with these kinds of things. Now, I want to take you to Mark chapter 8, verse 34. If you'd turn there with me, Mark chapter 8, verse 34. I was planning on, on something else uh, for today. Last night, I, I, it just occurred to me that I wanted to uh, go a, a different direction. And so uh, I wanted to start out with this this morning because I believe that this holds a lot of passion for us. That can drive our mission, that can drive our service, that can drive who we are in Christ. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, just before this, Jesus is telling his disciples, he's saying, in fact, let me just back up, verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. He's talking about his crucifixion. And he says, I mean, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to take place. And, and this, is, this is where I'm going. And Peter's like, hey, yeah, but ease up. I mean, Jesus, we're not going to let that happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, which is, you know, that's kind of a harsh word to say to one of your disciples. Uh, verse 34, then he goes into this and he calls them all together. And he says, guys, I, I need to tell you something. In light of my crucifixion that is impending and will happen, and I have planned it and ordained it along with the Father, like you've got to see something, and that is this, verse 34. It says, and calling the crowd uh, to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to be with me, if anyone wants to be about what I'm doing, if anyone wants to connect with Jesus, if anyone wants to be a part of what he's doing, if anyone wants that, now that's, I think it's a, it's a huge word right there. If anyone wants to come after me, what does it mean to come after Jesus? Now I got to tell you that what we're saying here is that we want to create people that are going after Jesus that are coming after Jesus. We want to create disciples. We want to create people who are followers. Now, of course, we don't create them. The Spirit of God is the one that creates disciples. We want to be faithful with, with our part in that. But what does it mean to come after? If anyone wants to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you really want to come after him, and I just want to ask, are we coming after Jesus? Or are we content with a little bit of religion? Are we content with 
being consumers in our local church? Are we content with saying, what have you done for me lately? Janet Jackson song? Ooh, yeah. No? All right. All right. It's big when I was in the eighth grade, probably. All right. A few years ago. We come to the church and we say, what have you done for me lately? What are you doing for me right now? But of course, as I said earlier, outward church is kicking butt in this area. So we don't necessarily have to worry about that. But what it means is this, is that if you want to come after Jesus, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to follow him, then he says this, let him or her, okay, let him or her deny himself. Just stop right there for a second. Deny himself. Now, what are, we, what are we talking about right here? We're talking about self-denial. Now, what is our world just crazy about right now? Self-care. Self-care. Our world is completely about how do I care for me and my own and myself? How do I care for what I'm doing? How do I make sure that what I'm doing matters most? How do I make sure that I'm not being denied everything that I deserve? Jesus' way is this. He says, I want you to deny yourself. It's a denial of self-care. It's looking at the idea of self-care and saying, that is a lie. That self-care is what happened in the garden. That self-care is what happens in the midst of your marriage when, when you two are fighting. Self-care is looking out for me, looking out for number one. Self-care is when I say, you know what, what matters most to me is that I take care of myself and that I'm able to have relationships. So as a single person, I end up with the wrong person and I end up entering into that relationship, which now it's the right person because you're married. Self-care got you there. Self-care got you there. Self-care is what our world is based on. And you want to know what the, what the craziness is going on? You, you want to know why that is? It's because our world is so concerned about self-care. Our world is more selfish than it's ever been. And guess what? You and I are in it and we're a part of it. Self-care will be the death of us. It'll be the death of your marriage. It'll be the death of many, many things. And Jesus shows us that even more. He said, let him deny himself and not just, live, just deny yourself Put aside the, the lie of self-care, but you take up something. It's not just saying, I'm just going to let that stuff go. I'm going to take up my cross. It's the, it's the expulsive power of a new affection. It's not just saying, I'm just going to deny myself. No, I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to take up something in the same motion. I'm, I'm doing self-denial while I'm picking up the cross. I'm picking up a cross, and he, and he says to take up his cross. 
Now, what does it mean to take up your cross? It means to take up intentional sacrifice. It means to purposefully put yourself in a place where you will be exhausted. It means to put yourself purposefully in a place where you give up your rights in your marriage. It means to to take something up intentionally that would say, this is going to cost me. It will be costly. If anyone wants to come after me, like the hallmark, the road sign that's pointing to, this is a disciple, this is a disciple, is this, that they live as, as someone who denies themselves, their self, cannot talk, and that they've taken up a cross, the cross, our cross. And it is in that motion that we begin to follow Jesus. We begin to follow in his footsteps. We begin to follow what he's doing. So what he does, I do. Jesus denies himself, gives up his rights, gives up everything that he is, and he decides to begin walking. With his cross. And he says I want you to follow me. Men and women. The telltale sign. Of somebody who is walking with Jesus. Is somebody who denies themselves. And who takes up the cross. And follows Jesus. To say that you're a Jesus follower. To say that I'm a Jesus follower. That does not deny self. And that does not live. In intentional sacrifice is an oxymoron. It doesn't work. It does not work. I was watching the the movie The Lion King with my uh, kids the other day. Uh, The the new one, the real life version, whatever it is. The computer generated real life version. I had never seen The Lion King before, but I gotta tell you, they ripped that story off from the gospel. Like it it is a gospel story through and through. The, the son, Simba, listens to the evil uncle, Satan. He goes and does something. The father sacrifices himself, gives up his life, puts himself at risk to save his son. The son is us. The father is Jesus in that sense. Mufasa, is that his name? I keep wanting to call him Mustafa, but it's Mufasa. And I don't know what Mustafa is. I probably shouldn't have said that word without knowing what it was. I'm hoping it's not a racial slur or something like that. But in any case, Mufasa is the Jesus figure there. He hears from his uncle, now you need to run because you have essentially killed your father. You'll never live this down. Run away. And so he runs away. And he gets out of town and he goes to some great wonderful valley with some, with some friends that don't have any, any uh, direction, anything like that, living for themselves, living in the comfort of this. And he's sitting there in this valley, and then the, the girl lion, whatever her name is, what's that? Nala? All right, well, there you go. I don't even, why am I telling you the story? I, I, I just saw the movie. All right, they're like, yes, Matt, yes. 
The gospel implications are so amazing because she comes and she says, hey, you're the only one that can come and serve your people and be king and, and help them. And he's like, no, I've done too much. And finally, the monkey, whatever his name is, don't tell me, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Comes and says, hey, come and see who you are. Shows him an, an, an image in the water of himself. And it's basically, he's saying, you are your father. Your father is in you. There's the image of God implications there. And then his father calls down from the clouds, which is like, this is like the picture of Jesus' baptism. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased, yada, 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 that stuff, right? It's kind of like that. But the father says, hey, I'm going to be with you. And he finally says, okay, I'm doing this. And he goes back and he helps his people and all this stuff. But when you think about all of the implications that are involved there, as I was, my wife and I are sitting there just going, I've never even thought about this, but this movie is so gospel riddled. And the reason is, is because of this self-sacrificial thing that the father does and then the son finally does later on in the movie, Simba. I got his name right. There we go. It's sacrifice. Like the life of somebody who's a believer, the life of somebody who's following Jesus is somebody that is engaged in the life of service. Now, verse 35 says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Now, why does Jesus say, whoever would save his life will lose it? Because of this. Because our efforts every day are about saving our life. The, the truth is this, is that the lie that we've believed as people is that I will receive salvation. Now, we never say salvation. But the truth is what you and I believe is that what I will get ultimate meaning and value out of is this thing. I will find my identity in this. Think about the identity statements about sexuality. How much those are rooted in our culture saying your identity, your sexual identity is everything. And that's craziness. That's absolute craziness. What it's saying is it, it's saying you will find your salvation in your sexuality. Sexuality is a good gift from God, but it cannot be your God. Your identity is found in and rooted in the king of kings. It is in the God who created you in his image. But you and I are constantly on this treadmill where we are thinking, I am going to save myself through the things that I have, through the places that I go, through the people that I see, through the money that I make, through the relationships that I have. Whatever it is, just insert your little nasty problem in there, and you can just say, that's what I believe is my salvation. And Jesus says this, self-denial is the way, it is not self-salvation. And he says, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Now, counterintuitive logic here. It, he says this, you have to lose something to gain something. You have to lose something in order to gain something. And it is such a treacherous path to say, like, I'm going to give up something. 
I'm going to give up comfort. I'm going to give up the things that I think that I must have. I'm going to give those things up in order to gain whoever loses his life. Now, does Jesus mean that you must literally lose your life? I think what Jesus is saying here is that might be included. But I think more likely what he's talking about is this. The things that you believe are life to you. The things that you believe are life. This is life. Man, I get caught up in that. I get so caught up in that. I've, I've said this before. My wife and I, uh, we were able to remodel our house. We got done. We were waiting for this kind of excitement to erupt out of us when we moved out of the trailer with our four kids and into this, into this house that we just remodeled. And there was something about it that was like, there was, there, was, there was joy, but it was limited joy. It was like, something's, something's missing. It's like I'm hitting my head on a limit here. That while I'm building my house, I'm thinking that this is life. Now, it was a good gift from God to be able to build and remodel again. I had a great opportunity to help remodel this church. And I love to work with my hands. That was a great, incredible uh, honor. It was a great skill to have. But there's something that's limiting about, like, we got done with our house. It's the first time that we've been in a house and we say, we love this place. But there was something about it that would not give me the life that I had always wanted or felt like I really needed. There was something limited about it. And men and women, don't you realize, don't you see that there's so many things in our life today that we say, this is life. This is what it means to live, or this is what I'm striving after. And ultimately what it means is that it does not mean self-denial, taking him across and following him. It means self-care. It means taking up whatever I have to take up to, to make the next buck or, or get this relationship or whatever it is. And go on and go on and go on and continue to search for life in wells that are dried up or that will be dried up. To continue to search for life in things that will never give you the life that you're looking for. Jesus says you've got to lose to gain. You've got to lose your life and not just Losing your life, but it's losing your life, that thing that is self-salvation for his sake. Now, it's one thing to just say, yeah, I've just, I need to, in a, in a very sterile way, set aside all of the things of this world that seem like they are comfort, like they're too much or what have you. That's a very sterile way to live. That is the treadmill of religion. Jesus clarifies and he says, I want you to lose your life not because that's what the church wants. I want you to lose your life not because that's what all the good people are doing. I want you to lose your life not just because you'll be a kind and compassionate person. I want you to lose your life for my sake. And that means that I give up my rights. I deny myself. I, get, I take up my cross not for anybody else but for Jesus, you can't do it for your wife. You can't do it for your girlfriend. You can't do it for your husband. You can't do it for your boyfriend. You can't do it for your boss. You can't do it for your employees. You can't do it for anybody else. It has to be for his sake. It has to be for his sake. And then secondly, it has to be for the gospel. 
What's the gospel? The gospel is the, the good news. I'm not giving it up for no reason. I'm giving it up because of the good news of Jesus Christ that says you're forgiven. You have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. You no longer have to be on this treadmill of trying to find life in empty things. You get to find life in me. And Jesus says, give it up. Not just for no reason. No, you got to put a reason in there. For my sake, for the sake of the gospel, he says. And he says, verse 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Now, what does it mean to gain the whole world? And what profit is in there? Well, it's the idea that our world is putting to you and to me. And that is that there is much profit in gaining the whole world. That's what celebrity is. Celebrity is the people that have gained the whole world. It is people who have come to the pinnacle. And it's not just celebrity. But it's people who have come to the pinnacle of success. Who have gotten the thing that they believed would, would lead to self-salvation. It is people who have strived and strived and strived after self-salvation and after self-care. It is to gain the whole world. Okay, I have, any, I have everything. And Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? It means this. It means you can gain what our world believes is everything. You can, in some respects, on your own. Come to a place of life and in a place where you say, okay, now I'm finally secure as I have the funds for that. Now I'm finally secure as I found a husband. Now I'm finally secure as my family is complete. Now I'm finally secure knowing that my child will be in sports. Now I'm finally secure knowing that I have a nice place to live. Now I'm finally there. It is gaining the whole world. It is, it is being comfortable because you finally came to a place where you said I got it all but Jesus says there's another side to that what does it profit a man to gain the whole world in other words there is no profit in gaining the whole world and forfeit his soul there is no profit in that Jesus is saying something to us and that is that when you seek after the whole world, life and all, all kinds of other things, self-salvation, self-care, when you seek after all of those things, you may get to that place where you get that, but what will have happened is that you will have lost your soul. You have lost what you've been striving after. You, you have been going after things so that your soul would be stilled. So that your soul would be comforted. But in the process, Jesus says, your soul cannot be comforted by the world. Your soul cannot feel loved by the world. Your soul cannot be put at ease because of what you've made. Your soul cannot be at a place of deep and abiding comfort because of the relationship that you have. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. In those who have denied them, their, their self 
and who have followed him. And he says, you forfeit your soul. As long as you find salvation and anything but in Jesus, you're forfeiting your soul. Some of you walked in here today and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. You are forfeiting your soul as long as you continue to look for comfort, for salvation, for self-care in anybody else other than Jesus Christ. Jesus brings you to a new place. You are lost in the place where you are without Jesus Christ. And Jesus says you have forfeited your soul. Verse 37, for what can a man give in return for his soul? What can, what can a man give in return for his soul? And the answer is nothing. It's nothing. There's absolutely nothing that you can give in return for that. You can't earn it back. You can't get after this love for God. The implication is this. The further you get into self-care, the further you get into self-salvation, the further you get into gaining the world's goods, the, the further you are away from your soul. Your soul being this idea of relationship with God. That's when you truly know your soul. That's when your soul is most alive. When your creator, when you know your creator, when you love your creator. And men and women, what, what happens to us is that in many cases, we are no different than anybody else in this world. We are no different. And our careers come first, before God. We're looking to gain the whole world in our career, and God becomes second place. And there's forfeiture and forfeiture and forfeiture. We're going further and further away from God. And that is not to say that God is going to let you go, because I do not believe that he will. I believe the scripture says that clearly. No one can snatch them out of my hand, he says. But what it does say is this, is that there's a forfeiture that's going on. And those people that continue to walk away from God and continue to walk away from him and look for another source of salvation. Now, what, how does this happen with us? I don't think there's ever been a time in history when our world has been accelerating at such an incredible pace toward more busyness, toward more things to do, towards more things to be a part of. With me and my family, I can't tell you how many things there are to actually uh, allow our kids to be a part of. It's choir, it's orchestra, it's baseball, it's uh, other types of baseball teams that take even more time. These aren't wrong things, it's just lots of things. There's football, there's uh, all kinds of things that they can, programs and classes and all kinds of things that our kids could be a part of. I never realized that this would happen to me, and it has. And the truth about it is, I love my kids so much we were talking the other day, my son like, had some pretty amazing tackles on the football field the other day. It was pretty cool. 
And we're kind of saying, like, I mean, do we need to get them into a camp? Do we need to get them into whatever? And the thing that I begin to think about in that moment is, oh, this is how it happens. Again, not that it's wrong. It's just busyness, more busyness, more things to take up our time, more social media, more binge watching, more whatever it is. Men and women, our world is specifically designed to take us away from self-denial and to continually plug us into this idea that more is better, doing more is better. And do you know what is sacrificed? Our service to God. Our denial of self is sacrificed. See, here's the truth. Serving and giving as well and speaking the gospel are indicators of our health in Christ. They're indicators of the idea that like, if anyone would come after me, like, am I going after God? It's an indicator. It's not the only indicator because you can serve and you can give and you can speak for the wrong reasons, but it is an indicator that you can look at to see like, where am I as a believer? Am I healthy? Because here's the truth. You and I put into practice what we believe. Every day you leave your house and you spell out what it is that you believe. I leave my house and I spell out what I believe. I spell out what I believe in the way that I either choose to serve my wife or not serve my wife. I spell out what I believe when I decide to serve my kids or not serve my kids. Because when we're, when we're talking about this, we're talking about, like, we want to serve, we want to live outward, not just uh, in the church or in the city, but we want to do that in the home. And so for me, like, the thing that I'm working on right now is being available to my kids. Because on Friday, my wife wanted to go see The Lion King, and I'm glad I did because I got a pastoral uh, illustration out of it, but uh, that's kind of selfish, right? But what I really wanted to do, if I'm really honest, is I wanted to get the leaves off my stinking roof and my yard. That's what I really wanted to do. And the thing that I thought about as I was, as I was like, man, do, I, do we go do this as a family or do I stay here and do this? And the thing that I thought about is like, I love my children. I, I love being a part of them. And so the thing that I, the excuse that I can make is I am serving my home. But really what I know is that I'm serving the kingdom of Matt. When I say no to family and doing things with them and I end up isolated doing my own thing by myself. See, we put into practice what we believe. What I, what I do, how I live, says something about what I believe the gospel is. If I believe the good news is this, is that Matt can save himself, then what I would do on a regular basis is I would continue to deny my family and instead do my own thing. That's my self-salvation. I can do that with the church. I can essentially say, you know what, I have way too many things going on. And praise God, 
We have amazing volunteers here, even today, 70 plus volunteers probably serving right now. Praise God for this. We have so many people that have said, I want to deny self. I'm willing to come a little early. I'm willing to be a part of what's happening here. I'm willing to give of self in order to serve people here. And so my salvation isn't coming from my comfort in church. My salvation is exalted in Jesus Christ as I make a place for other people to be in church. As I make something more comfortable, as I help them find a seat. As I keep the cars safe out in the parking lot and people safe in the building. As I take care of kids in the kids ministry. As I'm teaching in high school ministry. As I'm playing in a band. Like these are examples of areas where we could say, I'm going to deny self today and I'm going to come after Jesus and I am, I am going to take up my cross. I'm going to intentionally sacrifice for my family. Uh, I'm going to intentionally sacrifice for my church family. I'm going to intentionally sacrifice in my city because Jesus has sacrificed for me. Because Jesus has given up everything. So what do, you, what do we do about this? I was talking with the guys in the office just the other day. And one of the things that one of the guys said was this. He said, busyness is a form of escapism. Guilty as charged. Dude, I love to be busy. I, I, get, I sit and, I, and I, I cannot hold still. I sit and I, and I just go, what can I be doing right now? What can I be doing right now? What can I be doing right now? That's what just goes through my head constantly. I have to be doing something. But you know what's happening when I'm doing something? Even if I'm sitting in my chair working on something or whatever, is that I'm too busy for a conversation with my wife. My kids don't feel like they can come sit with me. And I'm escaping reality. And church, I got to tell you this. That is that. I think this is probably one of the biggest things that's going on. This is one of the youngest churches in our city. I don't know that we're the youngest, but one of the youngest churches that have been affected greatly by the revolution, the internet revolution, and all the social media and everything that goes on there. And I got to tell you this, that we have a massive hill to climb, and that is that we live in escapism. We escape our daily lives we escape our responsibilities as parents as friends as church members and then our responsibilities with our neighbors in the city with the people that we we spend time with we are living in escapism on a regular basis now that's a possibility but there's also another possibility and that is that we can serve with the wrong motives we can serve with the wrong motives, and that is not because of Jesus' self-denial and because he picked up his cross and walked, but we can serve with the motives of, I'm going to leverage God to do for me something that I want him to do. <clears throat> I'm going to put God in my debt. I'm going to make him do something for me that I want him to do for me. I'm going to put others in my debt. I don't know if you've done that, like if you're married, like how many times have you done something for your wife or, or you've done something for your husband where you're like, I'm, I'm going to do this so that they do that, that kind of thing. It never works out well, I'll just tell you that, not frequently. 
But people do it in the church as well. I'm going to do this for the church. I'm going to serve these people in this way so that they will serve me back. And what happens is this, that we're always disappointed. We're always disappointed. And the reason is because the motivation behind my service is not because Jesus served me so incredibly well. It's because I just want to be served. And that is an illegitimate way to do service in the local church. We can try to put others in our debt. We can do it so that we can receive praise and encouragement and glory. It's a big problem when people are on stage, myself included. Like when I, when I leave the stage and I'm disappointed because I feel like my sermon stunk, the thing that I have to remember the most is this, is that like I'm not up here for Matt. I'm not up here for the praise of Matt. I'm up here for the praise of his glorious grace Jesus Christ and what he is able to do in our lives as his people. And the truth of the matter is, it kind of doesn't matter whether how I feel about the sermon. What matters is what God is doing in your life and in your heart. We can do lots of things for praise. When we serve with, with wrong motives, it turns into burnout. How, how, do, how do we get burnt out? Well, you may have been serving too much. You may need to take a break. Maybe you've just been too much. You need to reprioritize your life. But perhaps what you need is you need to check, why was I doing this in the first place? Was I doing this because Jesus denied himself and took up his cross? And like his incredible love for me? Or was I doing this so that I could receive praise, glory, and honor? Was I doing this so that other people would serve me? Was I doing this because I'm motivated by shame and guilt because the pastor told a great story about something needs to happen and now I'm just doing this? Was my motivation really the love of God and everything that he has done? Or have I been trying to save myself through service? And I gotta tell you, those are all incredible Ways that happen all the time in a local church. Let me just tell you this. I used this passage just a few, a couple weeks ago, but I think it, it, it very much applies. Jesus went to the cross, Hebrews 12, to, for the joy that was set before him. Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? The joy that he would get, that he would endure the cross. The joy was that he would get you. The joy was that he was saving you. Jesus sacrificed himself for the joy that he would get in the fact that you would be saved and that salvation would be extended to you. Now, here's the problem, is that when we think about this, we say, you know what? I don't know that I love God enough to think that way. Like, I, if I loved God more, then I would, I would go after him and I would say, you know what? I do want to serve in that way and I want to do those things. And that's the biggest problem is that like, man, when I think about like, do I love God enough to say, like, for the joy that's set before me, like, I want to serve other people. And the problem with that is that what you're saying and what I'm saying in those moments is that we're saying, you know what, if I could just love God enough, then I would desire that joy of seeing someone else served 
or seeing someone else hear the gospel or seeing someone else flourish because I've denied myself. If I loved God more, and here's the problem, and that is that my love of God is never enough. It is never enough. Like, I can't love God enough. I really can't. I can't love God enough for him to love me back. I can't love God enough to make him do good things in my life. I can't love God enough to do anything. And so I'm kind of stuck. And I don't know if you're stuck. Maybe you're feeling burnt out because you've been serving too much. Or maybe you're like, I'm just not there. I don't want to serve. I don't want to serve in my home. I don't want to serve in my church. And I don't want to serve in my city. So I must not have this love of God. I must not want to come after Jesus. I must not want any of these things. And what you need to think about is this. is God's love for you, not your love for God. There's this great quote that somebody has, and I can't find it. But it goes something like this. I think it's Charles Spurgeon. Someone can tell me later if you know. It says, if you're worried that you do not love God enough, you're doing it wrong. I don't think Spurgeon said that at all, but... Something like that, okay? You're doing it wrong. Think not of your love for God, but think of God's immeasurable love for you. You cannot come to a place. I cannot make you feel guilty enough to make you serve to the point that you need to serve. I can't do it. But God's love can. Jesus is pointing to his, his gospel. He's pointing to what he's going to do on the cross. And he's saying, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to come after me, let him follow in my footsteps. Let him do that for my sake. Let him do that for the sake of the gospel. When you see how much God loves you, when you see how much he cares about you, when you see how much he's given up for you, and you think about how much he loves you, I think that's when we come to a point when we say, you know what, I got to give back. He just forgives me, and he forgives me, and he forgives me. Like when you have prayer with God, I don't know what you're like, but like sometimes I'm just sitting there just going, ah, oh, man, I just want to be a better person. I just want to be more spiritual. You're like, hey, you're on the stage. Should you be saying this? But I'm just like you. There's not a ton of difference. Maybe I might be better looking and things like that, but, but, but I mean, internally, of course, like there's just not a lot of difference. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting there just going, man, I, I just, I want to experience God's love over and over again so that like when I get in these moments, when I get in this place, like, I, I, I just let the grace of God, like, wash over me. See, you can't condemn yourself to serve Jesus. You must see that you are no longer condemned. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't you see? 
that like that has got to, when you wash yourself with the gospel over and over again, and better yet, when you see that you have been washed, and you have been washed, and you have been washed, that there is no condemnation, you get to pour out love to other people in the way that you serve. Guys, let me tell you this. Outward church, you're serving on an amazing level. I think there's more for us to do in our city. Richmond Elementary Soccer Club is understaffed. There's mentorships that can happen over there. But I'm not going to tell you this to say, hey, feel real guilty because there's kids that need you. No, I'm going to say this. Feel real loved so that you feel, by God, so that you feel like you want to serve in that area. Salem for Refugees is another organization one of our community groups is working with. We have the opportunity to work with people that come from other nations that need Jesus, and that need love, and that need service. There's people in our church that need to be served. There's people in our city. There's people in your work. But listen, if you're going at it from this from a source of shame, if you're going out at it from any other perspective other than that God loves you so much that he went to the cross and he's inviting you to deny yourself along with him. You're going about it the wrong way if you don't do it any other way but that way. Let's pray together. Lord, Lord God, I, I just asked this morning, Lord, for those that feel like they haven't done enough, that they would see that you're the only one that has done enough and that we could never do enough. So, Lord, I pray that they'd rest in your grace in that sense. Lord, for those that are not involved in serving, for those who, are, who have not served other people, Lord, I do pray that you would convict them of perhaps a selfish attitude. Lord, because that's coming from not really seeing what you've done for them on the cross, not responding to your grace in kind by, den by denying themselves. So, Lord, would you, would you convict? Would you comfort? Lord, would you allow us to see that you love us so incredibly much that you went to the cross for us? And Lord, would you enable us to do the same in our home, in our church, and in our city as a result. It's in your name we pray. Amen.